0: Good morning. You guys Staying with us? I'm going to read from uh, Psalm 118 this morning. You guys, it'll be up on the screen, and you guys will read the uh, bold print with me. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, steadfast love endures forever. And we'll read all this together. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. I'll give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Father, we come to you this morning, um, God, and we trust and we lean on the fact that you are good, God, and in in spite of everything going on, we keep going back to um, you are good, God, and we invite you and we ask you to meet with us this morning, God, may you just show us yourself, um, and maybe we're lacking on feeling or knowing, that you are good. God, that you would just this morning just give us a little bit more of that. And you uh, your name I pray.
1: We were waiting without hope, without light Till from heaven you came running There was mercy in your eyes To fulfill the law and prophets To a virgin came the word from the throne
2: Those who are joining us online the Cross Community Church my name is Leander Livesey and I'm the children's minister here and I want to highlight just a few important things as we begin our time together today um, first-time guests we are glad that you're here it's exciting that when we've opened back up we've had new people to be able to come every week and find us maybe they found us online and have joined us in person And we really hope that you were able to stop by the first time guest tent and let us know that you are new to us. But if not, make sure you do that um, so we can just get to know you and say hi. Uh, For everyone else, we have next step cards that were on the seats. And those are the primary way that we communicate with you. If you have prayer requests or want to get connected, want to join a community group or find out more about Serving, eventually we will have kids back and we will need some volunteers, so I'd like to put a plug in for that. Um, let us know already that how you want to be able to serve, but so we really want to connect you um, to our church family. So. Also, if you are interested in joining a community group, we really hope that anybody who calls Cross Community Home, whether you are rejoining us here in person or not, that you will be involved with the community group. So we would love to be able to um, plug you into one of those. They are still continuing to meet all over Beaufort in homes. So if you're interested in that, you can drop it off in the tower in the lobby. For those of you that are watching online, there's an online Next Steps card linked to the Facebook video, or you can go to our website, crosscommunity.org and the next steps box on the homepage, scroll down and you can contact us there. And for those that are checking out stuff for kids, um, crosskids.org is where you can find videos, links, games, activities for the kids to do every week for their own Sunday school. All the information about how um, you can give is on the screen behind me, and we like to take time each week just to highlight what your giving has done. And this week it's done a lot. We were able to host an online VBS where we provided resources for over 50 kids in Beaufort and some even further away. And that was really fun. They got to watch videos. It was a VBS that was all across the world. And at our 11 o'clock service, they will really be able to see where their giving is going because we will have 35 um, kids and volunteers from our student ministry finishing up. Their weekend. So it's amazing. We appreciate your giving. Um, and you can do that online. Easy setup to be able to do that. So the reason that I get to introduce everything this morning is because for the first time in almost a year, we're getting to have a baby dedication. (laughs) Really? I know. A child and parent dedication. And I'm so excited about that. It really is incredible to be at a church that values children and sees them as Jesus did, as individuals who are worthy and able to have their lives transformed by the gospel, no matter how old they are. So I want to invite the families that are having ones dedicated this morning to join us up here. We're going to let them take off their masks. Um, And they're going to just spread out to be able to do that. So let me tell you a little bit about what we do when we do these parent-child dedications. It's a time where the parents who are coming up before you today will take a formal commitment, will make a formal commitment to raise their child in a Christ-centered home. Across Community, we believe that God designed the home to be the primary place for faith to be nurtured. The parent-child dedication is an opportunity for parents to make a public pledge Before the congregation that they will strive to raise their child to know, love, and follow Jesus Christ, being intentional in what they are praying for God to do in and through their child's life. And to prepare for that today, the parents have written a letter to their children, and I say this every time we do one. I really wish I could read you the entire letters because they are all really amazing, Um, but we're just going to read a few parts of it in just a minute. This commitment by the parents to model, teach, and reinforce their faith is not to be confused with the child's own decision to follow Jesus. We believe the Bible clearly teaches that each person must decide to trust in Jesus Christ as both Savior and Lord. But when that time comes, that their child is ready to take that next step toward Jesus, we hope that they can look no further than to their own parents for an example of what being a disciple of Jesus Christ truly means. This is also a time for us, in person, online, um, of the cross-community family, a time of commitment for us. We, ask, we want to commit to walk alongside, support, and encourage the family as they point their child toward Christ. So we're going to show some pictures behind me, and let me tell you a little bit about the special little ones that we are dedicating today, and I'm going to read a section of the letters of um, a prayer and blessing that the parents have written. So the first one that we're doing is Adeline Ann Inouye, and she turned two in March, her parents, Curtis and Emily, and she has one big brother, Bridger, who is three, and this is some of what they are praying for Addie. We pray constantly that you would learn to walk with him and be in a vibrant relationship with God. It won't be all sunshine and rainbows. There will be hard times ahead and many obstacles to overcome. We know that you aren't perfect and and we don't expect you to be, but we desire for you to continually strive upward and onward with the Lord and his calling for you so we're excited they're here. The second family, we have Judson Ezra Moore, and he was born on October the 18th. He's the first precious little one of Blake and Amber, and here's some of what they wrote to Judson. We vow to lead you in the steps that you should go to teach you to see and recognize the folly of this world and to treasure the immeasurable riches of of his grace in Jesus. We vow to take you from complete dependence to complete independence from us, but more importantly, point you to complete independence to complete dependence on God, our Savior. They're so good. Um, And then last but not least, we have Abigail Grace Phelps, and she turned one in January. Her parents are Adam and Anna, and she has one big brother, Avery, who's also three. three Three-year-old brothers for the win today. So this is part of their letter to Abby. There couldn't be a more perfect name for you, Abby Grace. You exude joy, and how fitting, since the name Abby is Father's joy. You're already so hilarious and keep us laughing 24 seven. But you are also kind, energetic, and oh so determined. We pray that you come to know Jesus as your Savior and fully grow into the amazing person He's created you to be. We pray you always remember the joy of the Lord is your strength. Thank you, guys. Can we welcome these families? Yeah. And Taylor's going
3: Good morning. Uh, glad to have you with us this morning if you're our guest. My name is Taylor Burgess. I serve as lead pastor here and uh, I share Leander's enthusiasm in being able to recognize these families today because this is something for us as a church uh, that's very, very important. At uh, the conclusion of each of our worship gatherings each week, we quote this passage of scripture from Psalm chapter 45 and uh, verse 17 says, I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. We believe that God's desire uh, in passing the baton of faith from one generation to the next is evident from the earliest parts of Scripture. If you go back, really, to the beginning of the formation of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, 4, uh, Moses speaks to the people. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It's clear from the earliest parts of Scripture uh, that God desires for His people is something that is a far cry from a uh, nominal cultural faith that amounts to taking our children to a building one day a week or a few times a year when it's important. Our, calling as followers of Jesus Christ is to create environments uh, that are centered on the message of the gospel where our children can flourish and grow in the knowledge of God according to his word. So uh, today isn't just a dedication of these children in hopes that they will become followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's also commissioning of these parents um, because they're standing before you today to make a covenant saying that they're going to do everything within their power to create a gospel-saturated environment where their children have the best opportunity to grow, know, and follow Jesus Christ. And uh, this is something that we reserve for those who are active covenant members of our church family because uh, we believe that what's happening today is a lot more than just a formality or a photo op because we as a church are also in this moment coming alongside them in covenant to say, uh, you will not parent your children alone. We will walk with you and we will encourage you. And we will equip you with the word of God and be there to hold up your arms in the days that you grow weary and tired in this. So uh, what we're going to do here is I'm, I'm going to ask a few questions of all of the parents up here. And so parents, um, if you agree with these statements and these commitments, you can just respond uh, to each one of these questions by saying we will. Uh, and then once we ask these commitments of the parents, I'll have a, a commitment for you as the congregation as well. So first for the parents. Do you promise to lead and model for your children what it means to love the Lord their God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do you promise to pray for them and with them and to teach them to love and to cherish God's word? Do you promise to remain faithfully committed to Jesus and to his church and to model his love as a family to the outside world? Do you promise to remain partnered with church leadership as members of the local church so that you and your, and your children have the best chance to know, love, and follow Christ? Do you accept the responsibility and the privilege of being the primary spiritual influence in the lives of your children? Do you surrender your children to the will and call of God, regardless of where he may send them for his glory? And for you now, uh, as the church, if you as a church promise to come alongside these families in prayer to support them, care for them, encourage them, and hold them accountable in their calling, and to surround these children as spiritual parents, brothers, and sisters in the faith. If you agree to this, will you let these families know by saying amen? Amen. 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 Let's do this together. As these families stand here uh, with their children, I want to ask all of you to stand with us, and just as a way of supporting them, as a show of support for them, will you just extend one hand of uh, this direction, and let's pray a blessing over their lives and the lives of their children. Father, we pray for each family that is represented here this morning. Thank you for the Phelps family, for the Moors, for the Inuas, Father, for their children and for their desire to lead them to know and to love and to follow you. Father, we know that there is no formal process that we can take our children through that will guarantee that they will call on you in faith. But today, Father, is an act of faith where we boldly ask in faith as your people that you will draw these children to yourself that you will make them yours, that from an early age, you will implant within their hearts a love for you, a love for the message of the gospel, a love for the church, a love for your word. And Father, we ask in faith this morning, will you draw each and every one of these children to yourself and save them? Set them apart as holy and righteous in their generation. Father, fill them with the power of your Holy Spirit. Fill them with the knowledge of your word. Father, equip these parents in their calling. Lord, for the days and the moments that they are weary, Father, would they fall on you and find your strength? Father, will you surround them with the loving presence of your people? Father, will you surround them with wisdom and with guidance in the moments when they don't know what to do? And would they continually draw from the wisdom of your word as they seek to shepherd and love and disciple their children? So Lord, we ask in faith this morning, will you bless them and keep them? Will your face shine upon them? Will you be gracious to them? Will you go with them and be with them all the days of their life? We commit these children to you this morning, Lord. We recognize first and foremost that they are yours. They belong to you. They are gifts that you have given to us to be stewarded for a moment. Help each of these individual families. Help us as a church family to steward them well that the day might come when we send them out as followers of your Son, Jesus Christ, in the power of your name and for your glory to the ends of the earth as they seek to be disciples who make disciples. So Father, bless these families, keep them, be with them, empower them by your spirit, and go with them today. We celebrate this moment this morning, and we praise you in advance in how you'll work in their lives. We ask all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and everyone said, amen. amen. Can we celebrate these families one more time this morning? Amen. Amen. All of you who are standing, you can go ahead and return uh, to your seats as well. You can remain standing with us, and we'll continue this morning in worship.
4: Everybody, as we continue our uh, journey through Psalm 23, our scripture reading this morning is through verse 5. So we'll read uh, the, on the screen behind me, you'll see uh, verses 1 through 5. And please read along with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside still waters, He restores my soul, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, with the the strife and the difficulty that I see all around us in this world in this nation, Seems to be everywhere, Lord, but I'm reminded this morning that you are good. Nay, you are great, Lord. You are everywhere and you are in control. And I'm so thankful that we are able to gather this morning to worship your holy name, Lord. Please open up our hearts this morning for what you would have in your word. As we get into Psalm 23, we ask that you would bring the Holy Spirit and enlighten our souls with your ever-loving mercy. Lord, we thank you for all of our blessings. Amen.
3: If you have a Bible, I going to invite you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 23, if you're not there already. And if you're joining us here today for the first time, watching online for the first time, we're in week five of a six-week message series titled Fear No Evil, where we've been walking verse by verse Uh, through the 23rd Psalm, which is really one of the most famous passages of Scripture in all the Bible and in all of poetic history as well. And while many of us probably know Psalm 23 in at least some way, shape, or form, what we've tried to do over the last month is slow down and take this verse by verse, piece by piece, because we want to fully immerse ourselves in the implications of what it means that the Lord himself is our shepherd. And so today we're going to continue walking uh, through verse Um, It was about 14 years ago this month. I was wrapping up my last week of basic training with the Army. And as we went into chapel uh, on Sunday morning, we walked in to find that the chaplain had laid out this huge spread full of coffee and donuts. And Uh, After 12 weeks of no caffeine, no dessert whatsoever, we saw this and our eyes got huge and our stomachs got even bigger and we were eager to run in there and just begin uh, devouring everything that was in sight. But as we were walking into the chapel, our drill sergeant who had walked us uh, up to the front door, they were standing there and one by one as we were walking past him, he'd whisper in his ears, in our ears, he'd just say, if you touch that, you'll die. I mean, just like I dare you to do this. That if you, and just as we're walking in, just one by one, he's like, "You look at that even the wrong way, it's going to be the biggest mistake you've ever made in your life." And so, um, what we did is, uh, we understood at this point in time, about twelve weeks in, that when we were within that sphere. Of the chapel, we were under the jurisdiction of the chaplain, and 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 for at least an hour every single week, there wasn't a whole lot that our drill sergeants can do. And also knowing that we only had a couple of days left before we graduate, you better believe we each and every one of us walked through that line, grabbed three or four donuts, had a couple of cups of coffee, and uh, you know once we left the chapel, I, I should tell you the detail that he made us like sprint all the way back to our barracks and then like roll on the ground and bear crawl and everything, and most of us pretty much threw up everything that we ate uh, while we were in there. But the point still remains the. Same that therefore, just a moment, right in the presence of our enemies, we feasted. Under the confidence of the protection and the provision of our chaplain within that one hour within eyesight of our enemies, we feasted on coffee and donuts. Now, so far in uh, Psalm 23, we've seen the image of the Lord as the shepherd who cares for his sheep. But once we get to verse 5, there's a little bit of a shift in the narrative where we no longer just see. A picture of shepherd and sheep, we now also start to see this picture of a, of a host and of a guest. So when we get into verse five, um, what we, we see in, the, in this shift is, is now the hospitality of the Lord as our host who's invited us into his home. And one of the dangers that can come with taking a passage like Psalm 23 and breaking it down just a verse at a time is that with each progressing week, we can become further and further removed from the full context of the psalm. So when we approach God's word, what we want to do is the work of exegesis. Meaning what we wanna do is we want to draw out of scripture the truth, it's already there. We don't want to do the work of eisegesis, which is to read into the text things that aren't actually there. And we do have a little bit of a tendency here in the West to sometimes spiritualize things and make the Bible say things that it doesn't actually say when you consider it in its full context. So uh, not just asking the question, what does this mean for us today? We also need in our exegesis to ask the question, what did it mean as David originally wrote these words for the nation of Israel? What was it that was being communicated in the word of God? When David wrote the 23rd Psalm, he was the king of Israel. And it was commonly understood that the king was referred to as the one who was the shepherd over God's people. We see this in 2 Samuel chapter five. It says, then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, you shall be my shepherd of my people Israel. So this was a title that had been given to David by the Lord and you shall be prince over Israel. So the people certainly saw David as their shepherd king, which is why it's so significant that David for just a moment would lay down this title of shepherd of God's people that had been given to him by God because it's essentially his way of saying to the people, listen, even the shepherd has a shepherd and even the king has a king. David in humility, even as the king and shepherd over God's people, he is recognizing that there is someone who's greater than him and someone who leads him and someone who guides him even as he leads the people. But the Lord, as we see in verse five here, does not just see us as the sheep of his pasture. He sees us as the residents of his home. And since the Lord is our host, our enemies will be overwhelmed by the power of his presence and our lives will overflow with his abundance, no matter what surrounds us, no matter what threatens us, no matter what causes us fear. When we are under the protection of the shepherd, we are under the banner of both his provision and his protection. So let's read again from Psalm 23, verse five. David writes, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So we see first in this passage that the Lord protects us by his presence. He protects us by his presence. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I mean, just right there in front of the enemies, the Lord has made this table for those who are his. And so with those two pictures in mind, the Lord both as shepherd of sheep and the Lord as host of guests, there's a couple of different directions we can go to interpret what David is trying to say here to us. So we'll look first at the role of shepherd. Now, uh, over the last few weeks, we've talked about how the shepherd had to have a very clear plan, a very well uh, thought out plan for moving his sheep from pasture to pasture, because this is how he ensured that they were always well fed. And the pattern that we see played out in Psalm 23 is the progression of the relationship of shepherd and sheep. So verse one, we establish that the Lord is the shepherd. Verse two, we see uh, that he is caring for the sheep in the pasture. Verse three, He sees we see him leading the sheep along the paths. And then verse four, we saw last week, even leads them and protects them through valleys. And then a few weeks back, I shared an excerpt from a book uh, by a guy named Philip Keller, who had spent a lot of his life actually working as a shepherd. He's written a really helpful book on Psalm 23, where he's writing from that perspective. And he notes how it's common for a shepherd to emerge from the valley uh, up to a mountain with his sheep during the summer and these ranges where he'll move his sheep, who are known to us as tablelands. It's a natural place to take a flock of sheep because even though it's located in the mountains, it provides this flat, open terrain. So even today, uh, high ranges in the United States and Europe are known as mesas, which is the Spanish word for for table. And, and so, ironically, the word table is also mesa in some African dialects. That's why we also have the famous Table Mountain that's in Cape Town, South Africa. And then, uh, more familiar, more local to us here in South Carolina, we have a state park that's known as table rock. And so you look at it again, it's it's high, it's mountainous, but there's flat terrain. So shepherds would emerge from the valley. They would go up to the terrain of the table. And from there, they'd begin the work of preparing the pasture. It was hard to reach, but if the shepherd was willing to put in the work, it provided good pasture for his sheep. But before uh, the shepherd could lead his sheep up the pasture, he would have to do a good bit of work in advance. So a couple of days before taking his sheep up to the table, he would go in and then uh, he would throw down lots of salt and minerals on the grass. This was good for the sheep. And uh, he would also go through and pull any weeds to make sure there was nothing poisonous that might cause the sheep harm or cause them to fall ill. So, So all of this work is much of what David may have had in mind when he was talking about the Lord preparing a table because that was the work of the shepherd as he emerged from the valley, was to prepare a table where his sheep could find pasture. But no matter where they were, the sheep were vulnerable. No matter where they went, whether they were in a valley, whether they were on a table, whether they were just walking along the path, sheep are extremely vulnerable animals. That's why David makes us know that he prepares the table in the presence of enemies. Sheep scare easily, we've seen over the last couple of weeks. It doesn't take much to spook them and suddenly they might go running off the cliff. They might just walk off the side of the cliff. They might stampede down into the valley. No matter where they are, they're vulnerable. And so that's why being a shepherd was this extremely excruciating position. It required 24 seven supervision. The shepherd constantly had to have eyes on his sheep or he constantly had to knew who had eyes on his sheep so that he could be doing the work that he needed to do. But as we saw last week, the shepherd carried both the staff and the rod. And the sheep found comfort in knowing that no matter where they went, they'd be under the protection of the shepherd. So that's the image of the shepherd, but then we also find this image of a host. We're given a picture of a host who has a seat that he's given to a guest of honor. And more specifically, this language of being in the presence of enemies gives the image of sitting at the table of a king who has subdued his enemies, who now are powerless as they sit and watch on from captivity, the guests of the king enjoying what has been presented at the table. So all of this, these images of shepherd, this image of host, it points back to the work that God had done in the nation of Israel in the past and the future work that he would do through Jesus Christ. So go backwards, Exodus chapter 12, we find the story of Passover. This is a time where Pharaoh had refused to release God's people from the bondage of slavery in Israel, or excuse me, in Egypt, and as a result, the Lord had just been pummeling the Egyptians with all of these plagues. So the Lord gives these instructions on the night of the Passover. That they're to take a lamb and slaughter it and to cover the doorposts of their homes. They roast the lamb and they prepare it for a Passover meal. And then on the 10th night, the final plague came. The angel of death passed over the homes whose doorposts were covered by the blood of the lamb, but the angel of death put, for, uh, put to death the firstborn sons of Egypt. But there, surrounded by their enemies in captivity in Egypt, the nation of Israel prepared a table. And they prepared this table under the guidance and the provision and the protection of the Lord who was their shepherd, and their enemies were completely powerless to prevent them from walking free. And then you fast forward from Exodus 12, Psalm 23. This ultimately points us to Jesus Christ. Like David, he's the shepherd. He identifies himself as a sheep. He takes a lower title than what had been given to him by the Lord. 1 Peter 1.19 says that he himself was the lamb who was without blemish or spot. Isaiah 53.7 says that he was the lamb who was led to the slaughter. And it's there, the night before Jesus goes to the cross, he sits down and he prepares a table. And who is sitting at that table with him? His enemy, Judas, who's ultimately going to betray him and hand him over for his crucifixion. And all of this is pointing to Jesus Christ. And it's ultimately his shed blood that covers our sin. And because we're covered by his blood, death will pass us over. All of it points to Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. The image of shepherd points to Jesus. This image of hope points us to Jesus. And ultimately, because of this, we still live today free from the power of the enemy of sin and death because we've been freed from the bondage of our sin. That protection and that provision has been made for us through Jesus Christ. And man, I just wonder how many of us allow the looming presence of the enemy to rob us of experience the joy of the blessing that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. Like we see our salvation and we know it's there and we desperately want to enjoy it. But all the while the enemy is standing at the door as we look in saying, you better not touch it. You better not enjoy it. And so we know that, that Christ has made this way for us, but we, we just live instead in the shame and guilt of our regrets of our past. When we look back on our past mistakes, we're overwhelmed by the temptation and the sin that we're facing in, in the present. And as a result, the enemy robs us of experiencing the joy that, knows from, or that comes from knowing Christ. And what we find here in Psalm 23 is the promise that in this life, even if the enemy surrounds even as he whispers lies into our ears, even as he causes us to doubt our identity, even as he wants to rob us of the joy of knowing Jesus Christ, we have to be reminded that while our enemy may be present, church, he has been defeated. He is powerless through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he has absolutely no claim on the life of the believer. There's absolutely nothing that has been promised to you in Jesus Christ that will be prevented from being given to you because of the enemy. He's powerless over us is no claim on us. Revelation 19 shows us a picture of what's known as the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's when all who belong to Jesus Christ are gonna gather with him at a table. We're gonna celebrate being eternally united with Jesus Christ as he stands in ultimate victory over his enemies. And the prophet Isaiah had prophesied about this centuries before. Listen to the, the picture that he paints about this supper at Isaiah 25, verses six through nine. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people. He will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Our sin has been defeated. The grave has been overcome. Our eternity is secure so we can feast on the bread of life because Jesus Christ has swallowed our suffering and death. It has no power over us. It has no claim over us. It has no power over us whatsoever to destroy us. Nothing can prevent us from being protected by the presence of our host. And his presence is our protection in this moment. Second part of verse five. says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. So he protects us by his presence. And second, he provides for us in abundance. So here again, we have this picture of shepherd and the picture of host. We saw a few weeks ago that one of the conditions that have to be met for sheep to be willing to lie down is that they have to be free of parasites that are tormenting them and and literally getting under their skin as they try uh, to graze out in the pasture. So uh, shepherds are constantly on the look for what are known as blowflies. Um, because they, they pose a, a significant threat to the sheep. They could lay eggs deep into the skin of the sheep in areas that they, they really can't reach and they're helpless to do anything about. And, and so typically as the shepherd watched the sheep, he could tell pretty quickly if a sheep was becoming agitated uh, by the presence of blowflies. And this has to be dealt with quickly because uh, as they land in the sheep, they lay eggs in their skin that can penetrate the skin within 24 hours and it can cause uh, the sheep to fall seriously ill or even to die. And so the solution here for the shepherd is a process known as backlining. What the shepherd will do is he'll take a, a special type of oil and ointment as he sees a sheep that's being pestered by these flies. He'll start with the top of his head and then just go straight down its back and he'll treat where the blowflies have laid eggs. And so this will not only kill the eggs that were trying to, to be immersed into the, uh, the skin of the sheep, ultimately it would act as a repellent that would keep other flies away. And so he continually did this work of watching out and looking out, seeing which sheep were being tormented and, and doing the work of treating them and anointing them with the oil to make sure they weren't being tormented. So that's the picture of the shepherd. And then again, we see the picture of the host. As a gesture of honor, the host of a home would anoint the head of the guest of honor. And so he would take the oil and cover it over his head. It could work as, as both a, a perfume, it could be act, uh, act also sort of as like a shampoo and it was just a, a symbolic gesture. You ever had somebody just wash your hair when you walk in their house? Like that might be kind of nice. I don't know, maybe you'd be weirded out by that, but that was okay in this context. And so uh, additionally, in the same way as we know, a full cup is something that indicates hospitality. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, having lunch at a local spot. I'll just give a shameless plug for Mamie and Maddie's over there on Ladies Island, if you've not been there yet you're missing out. You need to go there. And so I was there with Cole, our student minister, and Andrew Lancaster with Buford Young Life. And we sat there for about an hour, hour and 15 minutes having lunch. And man, somebody came by our table probably every five minutes to refill our drinks. And, and a full cup, and an overflowing cup, this is something that indicates we welcome you. It's a gesture of the abundance of hospitality. It says, we welcome you. We're glad you're here. We want you to stay. Even as we're leaving, they're like, hey, can we give you a to-go cup that you can take with you out the door? This is something that we do as a gesture of hospitality to show people, listen, we're in no rush for you to leave. And as long as you're here, as long as you're under our care, as long as you're under our provision, we wanna make sure you're being taken care of. And this is a picture that we see consistently all through scripture is anointing oil and having a full cup being symbols of joy and gladness. Why don't you turn with me in your Bible um, for just a moment here to Psalm chapter 61. And th- this is a, a really powerful passage uh, through the words of Isaiah, where he, he in, a, in a roundabout way, is really pointing forward to what will be the call of all who will advance the message of the gospel. We see these words fulfilled through the ministry of Jesus. And, and this is specifically the work that Isaiah had been given to do by the Lord. This is specifically the work that Jesus himself comes to fulfill. So let's read Isaiah 61, verses one through three. Isaiah says, "'The spirit of the Lord God is upon me "'because the Lord has anointed me "'to bring good news to the poor. "'He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, "'to proclaim liberty to the captives "'and the opening of the prison to those who were bound, "'to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor "'and the day of vengeance of our God, "'to comfort all who mourn, "'to grant to those who mourn in Zion, "'to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes.'" the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. The Lord has anointed us with the oil of gladness. And what is the purpose of this anointing? Why are we anointed? It's to bring the good news. Anointed to bring the good news, to proclaim liberty to experience the salvation that we found for ourselves and then to overflow in joy by declaring that salvation to others that they too can find the same freedom that we found in Jesus Christ. But that's the call and the anointing of the people of God is to overflow with joy for what God has done for them. We have to understand our salvation is not just for our personal benefits. Like Jesus did not just save you so that you would be okay and feel good about being okay. We have been called as followers of Jesus to overflow with the joy that we found in Christ. Matter of fact, this is one of the clearest evidences that we have truly come to faith in Jesus Christ is that we cannot wait to share this good news with others. We're eager to share this good news with others. And I fear what's happened, I think especially in the year 2020 is that we have become so inundated with bad news that many of us have just completely lost sight of the good news. And what's even more is we don't typically struggle to share this bad news. Like jump on social media and, and look at what's being, just scroll through your feed for 10 or 15 minutes and look at the proportion of bad news being shared with good news. We have no problem hitting that share button. We have no problem weighing in our opinion. We have no problem with, with arguing with complete strangers online over masks and over school and over politics. And we have no problem chiming in and overflowing with bad news. But when's the last time you shared the good news? of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And what would our world look like if we as followers of Jesus were as eager to share the good news as we are to share the bad news? If we were as eager for others to know the freedom that they can find in Jesus Christ as we are for people to know our opinion on matters that let's be honest, 99% of people don't care about. Like a lot of things we lob online, nobody's waiting on our opinion. Like nobody's losing sleep over the fact that I haven't commented on the MLB season this year. Like there's no MLB executive sitting somewhere thinking like, man, I wish Taylor would weigh in and tell us what to do with the baseball season this year. I can chime in all I want, but the vast majority of the world does not care. They just don't all feel better about the fact that I've said something, but how how eager are we to share the good news as we are to share about the bad news? And how different would our world look if that switched? If we overflow with the same joy, the good news that we found in Jesus Christ in the same way that we overflow with the bad news of what's happening in the world, Jesus shows in the Gospel of Luke chapter six that it's out of the abundance of our hearts that our mouths speak. And so I just wanna ask you this morning, what are you speaking in abundance? What is flowing out of your heart? Is it the bad news of everything that's happening in the world or is it the good news of Jesus Christ? And how different would our world look if we overflow with this good news? You know, again, I, I think we'd all pretty much collectively agree that 2020 has pretty much been the worst, right? Like no, nobody's really enjoyed this. It's nonstop bad news. It's nonstop bad news. Church, we have good news. And not just good news, we have the good news. We have the best good news that our world could possibly hear. And I just wanna challenge all of us to become as eager about sharing this good news as we are and sharing this bad news. Remember, um, when I was a high school student, this is about 19 years ago now, I came to know the Lord. And I came to the Lord through my student ministry on a Sunday night, and um, just through the the, the message my, my youth minister that evening. And man, I remember finding that joy in Jesus. And like, I just wanted to tell everybody. I went home that night, I told my parents right away, I told my brother right away, I told my sister right away. I went to school the next day, I told the first person I saw, and then I told the second person I saw, and then I told the third person I saw, and I told my football team, and I was so excited about this good news, but then something happened over time. I learned that not everybody was as enthusiastic about this good news as I was, and not everybody was really interested in this good news. I started listening to the lies of the enemy that nobody really wants to hear the good news, and people are gonna reject this good news, and you're stupid for believing this good news, and you need to let this good news go. And, and over time, that's, that's kind of what starts to happen is we just convince ourselves like, they don't wanna hear it, they've already heard it, they're, they're going to reject it. And, and even had men, people who were, who were older than me, they saw the joy that I had in Jesus and even had, had one person in particular as I look back now who should have been shepherding me, who should have been guiding me, who should have been discipling me, basically told me, yeah, you'll get over it. It's like, is that what we expect? Like, is, is that not actually the problem? Is that too many of us have gotten over it? Like we've forgotten the goodness of the Lord in our lives we've forgotten that we have something that is actually worth sharing in a world that is full of news, that is completely useless. We fill our our heads, mischievous every single day with facts that are gonna matter absolutely nothing in eternity. We've been given this calling to take this good news and have you allowed the enemy, have you allowed the world to suppress the good news that's in your heart? Have you forgotten what the Lord's done for you? Do we overflow in abundance with the joy we found in Jesus, we allow the enemy to rob us of this. As a result, we, we have lives where, we're, man, so many of his followers of Jesus, we're just perpetually miserable, and that is not how God has created us to be. That is not how God's created us to be. I think one of the great lies that the enemy tries to sow into our minds is that we will have joy in heaven above, but we're not really allowed to have it here on the earth below. Like we just kind of have to hate life right now. It's just sort of hard, and that's a fact of life, and we're just supposed to, to suck it up and hold on, and maybe we make it to Jesus. And then and there we'll have joy, but that is not what God desires for his people. Look at what he shows us in his word. I love this in Luke 15, it's the story of the prodigal son. And we, we see this picture of the father celebrating with the son who's come home. He's, he's fallen away in sin, he's been chasing after the world. The father just can't contain himself. He runs out, he greets his son, he, he welcomes him, he throws his arms around him, he throws a party for him. But what about the older son? He's, he's not having any of it, right? He wants nothing to do with any of this. He just can't look past the failures of his brothers. He can't look past his his faults. He won't even call him brother. He looks at his father. He's like, hey, that's your son. That's not my brother. He's reading off his resume. I've stayed home. I've served you. And father, you have never done anything like this for me. And I love the response of the father in Luke 15, verse 31. He said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I just wonder this morning, how many of us need the reminder that we are with the Father, that everything the Father has is ours and he means for us to enjoy it. How many of us have forgotten what's right in front of our faces with Jesus? of us are being blinded by our own self-righteousness, we're being blinded by the, the lies and the voice and, and, and the works of the enemy to try to keep us from seeing the goodness that we have in him. love how, how John Piper said it so well that God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. God desires that we experience total complete and ultimate delight in him and our shepherd has gone before us. He's made every provision. He's made every single preparation. It's all been made by Jesus Christ. And it's been made so that we will experience total joy and delight in him. God wants you to be happy in him. Isn't that good news? God does not want you to be miserable. God does not want you to live a life where you just just sort of suck it up every single day and, and fake it until you make it to the very end. Our, our desire, what we see, God's desire for us in his word is that we would experience the fullness of life and joy in him now. And that's what sets us apart from the rest of this world is that we've got something that regardless of circumstances, this world cannot take away. So how how do we actually walk in this? How can we walk in the fullness of joy that has been prepared for us by him? I wanna give us just four practical applications this morning that are gonna show us and and help us and guide us in experiencing the overflow of abundance in him. The first is simply to stay close to the shepherd and to feast at his table. Again, church, listen, our our enemy has been defeated, but he hasn't disappeared. He's still lurking on the perimeter. He's waiting for us to, to turn our heads away waiting for us to look down for just a moment so that in that moment, he can attack and begin to devour. And so when we begin to wonder, when we begin to drift into sin, and we ignore the voice of the shepherd calling us back. We make ourselves vulnerable and susceptible to the attacks of the enemy. As so we drift closer and closer and closer to sin. We start to become comfortable. We start to become complacent. And left unchecked, we can find ourselves very quickly sitting down at a table that the Lord has not prepared. We're in the presence of the enemy, but in that moment, we're no longer under the protection of the shepherd. Most of us like to rationalize sin, but God's word calls us to run from sin. This is James chapter four, verses seven through eight. James says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Stay close to the shepherd, draw near to him every single day by feasting at the table of his word. Second, we kill any semblance of sin. Everybody say the word kill kill. Don't rationalize your sin. Don't justify your sin. Don't, well, at least my sin isn't as bad as everybody else's sin, the way we like to do with our favorite and politicians, the ones we do or don't like. That's how we justify it, as so we compare and contrast. Don't do this. No, we, we kill sin. This is what we're called to do. This is how James carries us out in James 4, 8 through 10. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your minds, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. We are exalted and honored and welcomed at his table by being cleansed of our sin. And I think what what way too many of us want as followers of Jesus in the modern context is we want the seat at the table, but we're not willing to step away from our sin. That's how we find the seat at the table. That's what brings us to the table is when we come in repentance, It's when we come turning from our sin. We come to the table recognizing I'm here because I don't have anything else to offer. I can only lay claim on what's been offered to me through Jesus Christ. Your sin is not to be managed. It is to be murdered. It's to be killed. Not justified, not rationalized, not at least I'm not as bad as this person and this person and this person. No, our sin is an infinite offense against an infinitely holy God and left unchecked, it will send us to eternity apart from his presence. So we kill our sin. We don't make excuse for it. We we don't find roundabout ways of justifying it. We put it to death. It was John Owen, the Puritan who said, be busy killing sin or it will be busy killing you left unchecked, it will lead us to our death. And we do this third by walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. You walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what Paul writes in Romans chapter eight, verses 13 through 17. He he doesn't mince words here. Once again, he says, listen, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. You're gonna live according to your own way. You're gonna follow the pattern of the word, live according to the flesh and you will die. But if by the Spirit, say by the Spirit, because you can't kill your sin on your own. This is something you and I are powerless to do. We have to do this only in the power of the Holy Spirit. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your body, you will live. For all who were led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. In the same way that the shepherd will anoint the sheep to prevent it from the sin or from the, from the flies that are tormenting it, in the same way you and I have been anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is our power, this is our defense in, this, in the face of the enemy and in the face of temptation. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we'll be able to resist the devil and draw closer to Jesus Christ. We put our sin to death and we find freedom from what is robbing us of ultimate joy. As we walk in the power of his Holy Spirit. And then last, very simply, just tell someone about Jesus. Straight up. You know, you want to experience joy in Jesus, go tell someone about Jesus. I just I dare you this week. I dare you. Whatever setting you find yourself in, whether it's in it's in your work. It's, it's, it's something engaged with your kids' schools over the next couple of weeks. It's with a neighbor. It's with a family friend. Share some, with someone the hope that you found in Jesus Christ. And I dare you to come back to me next week and tell me it's not the best thing you did all week. Even if they reject you and they tell you that you're wrong and they can't stand you, you will experience in that moment a joy because two things are happening. You are first being reminded of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And you're experiencing that joy once again, that, that renewed zeal, that renewed energy, renewed fear. Listen, I'm, I'm sitting in, in a hair salon getting my hair cut just a couple of weeks ago. And this is a place that I go consistently and have had good conversations. And man, I got to openly share the gospel with a couple of people there. And guess what? Both of them completely blew me off. They're like, we're glad, we're glad that you get your hair cut here, but we really don't wanna hear this. And I walked out of there with such joy in my heart. Because our, our success as followers of Jesus, it's not, listen, it's not wrapped up in whether or not they respond to the gospel. Our calling is to share the gospel. It's our calling to share. They have a responsibility to respond. You're not a failure because the people you share the gospel with don't respond to the gospel. We don't save anyone, church. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But our job and our calling is like the shepherd and 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 like the the one who who sows seed in the field. Our calling is to simply be faithful with what's being put right in front of us. Take care of who is immediately in front of you. Share the message of the gospel. Trust the Holy Spirit to do His work in that moment. But I dare you go share Jesus with someone this week and tell me it's not the best thing you did. There's such great joy that comes from sharing Him. We see this amazing picture in Acts chapter four. This is with the the early church and they're being persecuted for sharing their faith. Like the 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 uh, all the government authorities and leaders are telling them, "Man, you you better shut your mouth on this. We're going to put you guys to death if you don't keep if you don't quit talking about this Jesus guy." And so they listen to all that. Like like they've been beaten, they've gotten roughed up a little bit because they've been sharing their faith. And this is the response in Acts 4, 18. It says, they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Have you found something to, if you'll excuse the double negative here. Have you found something that you can't not talk about? Is that what you found in Jesus Christ? Like something that you have to share this with someone because you're, you're literally just gonna be eaten up from within. This is the picture we see in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse nine. The Lord had given Jeremiah a ministry. Doesn't this sound like fun? He gave him a ministry. It's like, hey, you're just gonna pronounce judgment all the time. So not gonna be a super popular guy. Like they're gonna hate you. Again, when we, we sort of glamorize the prophets of the Old Testament. The Lord actually gave Isaiah a ministry where he said, nobody's gonna respond. Like you're not gonna see any fruit. It's, it's not gonna be over all that positive. You're gonna be persecuted because of this. And so Jer- Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet because it's all just kind of gloom and doom. And, and And he struggles with this. He's like, man, I feel like every single time I open up my mouth, it's death and destruction and and everything's bad. And yet this is what he lands on in Jeremiah 20, verse nine. He says, if I say I will not mention him or speak anymore in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones and I am weary with holding it in and I cannot. Have you found something in Jesus Christ that you have to let out? I mean, is it just eating you up from the inside? the joy that you found in Jesus. Church, our world needs this good news. We have fallen under the banner of the protection and provision of the good and ultimate and true shepherd. He has made everything for us that we possibly could need. He's covered us with the presence of his Holy Spirit. He's, He's given us a seat of honor at his table. He's cleansed us and he's forgiven us of our sin. Have you found something in Christ that you simply can't contain? we have news that there is a death that is no more for those who are in Jesus Christ. Death has been defeated. His salvation for us has been provided. Christ is resurrected. And because of this, we can overflow with joy in Jesus Christ from now and forevermore. Are you overflowing in abundance and joy for Jesus Christ? It's my challenge for you that this week. and My challenge for all of us as we go this week is to live within the promises that he's made for us, to stay near to him, to draw near to him in his word, to go before him daily in repentance, to lay our sin before him, to ask him to cover us in the power of his Holy Spirit, that we would walk in that power, that we would be led away from temptation, away from the devil as we draw near to the Lord. And as we enjoy, share the joy that we've been given in Jesus Christ. Someone needs the good news that you have. Someone in your life, someone in your circle of influence, someone in your home, someone in your neighborhood, someone in your place of work needs good news. And we have that good news. And it's our commission to take it to them. So fathers, we we close this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would give us just a renewed passion to share and make known this good news. Now that we would truly have cups that overflow we would overflow with the joy that has been found in you, Father, that we would literally, Father, just not be able to contain what has been found in you. Father, we pray that we would live lives where we are not in fear of the temptation that surrounds us. We're not in fear of the rejection of the world, Lord. Even though the enemy seeks to devour, we live in the confidence of knowing that you surround us, that you are looking out for us, Father, that you can see the threats that even we can't see ourselves. So we submit ourselves to your power. We submit ourselves to your strength and ask that your good news would be made known through us. So as we close this morning, I just wanna encourage you as we uh, wrap things up, just keep your heads bowed with me here for a moment. We just ask the Lord to give you a renewed passion for his word. Renewed desire to draw close to him. To experience intimate relationship and joy with him. Just ask the Holy Spirit, invite the Holy Spirit to just illuminate your heart and your mind to reveal sin that's in your life. What 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 sin is there that you've made excuse for? That you continue to justify and rationalize instead of just putting it to death by the power of the Holy Spirit. And ask that of the Lord. Lord, help us to put to death our sin. By the strength and by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, would you destroy the sin that's within us. Ask the Lord for a renewed desire to share his good news. That you have an overflowing cup cannot wait to share the good news you've found in Jesus. So Lord, we ask this morning, will you fill us up so that out of the abundance of our hearts, our mouths would speak the good news of your son, Jesus Christ. Draw us close to you, Father. Keep us far from our sin. Help us to rest in you and all that you've done for us and the promises that you've made for us. Father, be glorified in us. Set us apart as instruments for your name and your glory. And be glorified now as we lift your name and sing. We ask all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Church, let's stand together and sing as we close out this morning. remain standing here. No major announcements to make as we're uh, closing things out this morning. I just want to remind you, uh, if you've got one of these Next Steps cards completed, uh, you can drop that off in the tower that's out in the lobby We have giving envelopes available out there as well. For those of you who prefer uh, not to give online, that's available to you. Those of you watching online, again, don't forget, uh, Next Steps form is linked to the Facebook video. If you're watching later on Vimeo, just go to our website, crosscommunity.org, and click Next Steps there on the front page. Um, and we'll follow up with you throughout the course um, of the week. Uh, Leandra mentioned this earlier. Again, we are just uh, closely monitoring, again, what schools do. And so, Lord willing, we will uh, open up kids in some capacity as the school year resumes here in the next a few weeks, but again, we just appreciate just your patience. Again, as you can imagine, lots of different challenges that we're navigating here every single week. Personally, I like having kids in here on Sunday because it's actually a little more lively. Um, I, I'm I'm like 80% Baptist, but I'm also like 20% Pentecostal, and I just I need people to talk during the sermon, and and so I'm glad that they're here to provide that chatter. I really miss the drive-in for Easter, right? Like the air horn or the horns on the cars. That was great. So maybe we just need air horns here on Sunday morning. That would liven it up but it's uh, parents thank you so much for having your kids here we, we love having them in here We're grateful that they are under uh, the teaching of the word so um let's say together our, our together our banner verse from psalm 45 17 and then we'll sing together as we close this morning i will cause your name to be remembered in all generations therefore nations will praise you forever and ever Amen.
0: May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. You guys have a good week. We'll see you.